the Media Law Podcast newscast. Tom, Paul and I turned to Australia today and we were joined by Catherine Kemp of the University of New South Wales to discuss Australia's new media code designed to force tech giants to pay news corporations for their content and the fallout of Facebook's fierce opposition. The central idea behind the legislation, passed into law on the 25th of February 2021, is to correct the perceived imbalance in which tech companies unfairly benefit from content created by others. Companies like Google and Facebook make money from ads that sit alongside news items. Traditionally, these ads would be in the print media. The logic is that, as news increasingly moves online, the publishers of articles deserve a bigger share of Google and Facebook's ad revenue. The tech company's position is that publishers benefit from the traffic referrals they get when their content is shared online. The example given by one of the Facebook spokespeople to the Australian Senate was, when you refer a friend to a cafe, why should you pay the cafe? If publishers don't like this model, they are under no obligation to post their stories on social media networks or have their articles listed on search engines. So it's a modern day Mexican standoff. The standoff came to a head in mid-February. Google announced a three-year news deal with News Corp in line with the proposed legislation, but Facebook blocked all news articles in Australia. The platform originally planned to just ban news websites, but an algorithm mishap meant that charities and emergency services were also hit. And while the algorithmic glitch was quickly fixed, the damage was done. The standoff ended when Facebook agreed to allow news content to be shared by Australian users again, and the Australian government agreed to amend the proposed News Media and Digital Platforms Mandatory Bargaining Code. Both sides are now claiming victory. The government points to the restoration of news content on the platform and the agreements to make payments to Australian news media companies. Facebook is pleased that the last-minute amendments allow Facebook and other tech media companies to avoid the code altogether if they are deemed to be contributing enough to Australian media. The powerful arbitration scheme that made media companies and tech giants equal has also been scrapped in favour of a two-month mediation programme. Catherine, I want to start with you with the idea that, you know, the central purpose of this new code was to correct the imbalance of power between the negotiating parties. And so I guess my first question is kind of twofold. To what extent have these amendments maybe been undermined in the standoff in the past couple of weeks? And how has Facebook potentially shot itself in the foot by demonstrating just how powerful it actually is and and how necessary these checks are? To start with that first question about what these most recent amendments actually achieved, it depends very much who you ask. So... Uh, Australia's Treasurer Josh Frydenberg was saying these were merely clarifications, these were very small amendments that didn't change the effect of the law in any substantive way. It um, specified that before he as the Treasurer would designate a code, uh, designate a platform such as Google or Facebook, that he'd be giving them 30 days notice and that would have also Uh, be taken into account in deciding whether to designate Google or Facebook as a platform to which the code applied, um, that uh, whether they'd made a substantial contribution um, to supporting Australian uh, media and journalism. Um, Now, uh, it was always the case that this code wasn't going to automatically apply Uh, to any platform, um, although it was anticipated that it was going to apply to Google and Facebook. Um, And this takes into account that there are deals that have already happened outside the code um, in light of the the coming code. 
Um, so it wasn't just Facebook that was engaging in some brinksmanship in February. Google also said that threatened that it could withdraw from Australia, withdraw Google search from Australia altogether if the code went ahead. And in both cases, it seems that the platforms ultimately backed down from that um, and chose to enter uh, deals and negotiate at the last minute with especially various large media players. Um, and so you're right, um, each side is claiming that that was a victory for them. It was certainly apparent um, that Google in Australia, as in other jurisdictions, always wanted to be um, calling the shots in how these deals were reached rather than having this regulated kind of, of mediation. Um, so that theme has certainly continued in Australia, but I think the government would regard uh, the code as having been successful in pushing what are some fairly lucrative deals for Australian publishers. Who decides what the substantial contribution would be? Uh, well, that's something that under the code at the moment has to be taken into account by the, the Treasurer. So um, it would be a matter of interpreting what that means. It's uh, a decision that ultimately comes down to the, the Treasurer and all of these deals that have been put forward over these last couple of weeks and will no doubt continue now um, and might increase in that 30-day notice period if notice were given of a potential designation. Um, there would be room for argument that this was a substantial contribution and potentially some kind of challenge. But it's a government decision, ultimately. Ultimately, that's a decision for the Treasurer to okay. decide if, if he will designate a platform. So right now, the, the code has passed into law, but it doesn't apply to any platform at the moment. It, it's being held there as a possibility if uh, the platforms are seen not to be contributing sufficiently um, and reaching uh, deals that are regarded as, as fair with the various news businesses. Because there, there's been a lot of commentary about how this these changes allow the tech companies to potentially buy off media critics. But if the final decision rests with the treasurer, then that's surely not a legitimate criticism. Yes, one, one would hope that, and, and expect that the Treasurer would be taking into account the interests not only of the major uh, news media businesses in Australia, but also the smaller independent um, news media businesses. Uh, and so, yeah, that, it, it seems unlikely that uh, that would be uh, the dynamic that's taking place. Um, the far more common criticism that I've heard is uh, that the, the whole concept of this um, regulated mediation is something that is uh, the government uh, functioning or, or making this proposal at the behest of uh, News Corp or other large media players in Australia. Um, and, and you can understand why uh, there is very little sympathy uh, from uh, many quarters for, for these large media companies that are crying foul about the market power of digital platforms um, when some of those are that are crying foul are the, the Murdoch family, for example. World's tiniest violin. 
I must say, sorry, I, I forgot the second part of your question. <laughs> Once I, had it. I just wondered whether um, Facebook has actually done more harm to itself than good in recent weeks by really showcasing its power um, and essentially holding the Australian government to ransom and whether, you know, governments are looking on from countries around the world and thinking this is even more reason to regulate these these companies. The ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, in its digital platforms inquiry report in 2019, uh, which was the source of, of this proposal, um, went into some detail about um, what it saw as the substantial market power of both Google and Facebook and was pointing out um, Facebook's substantial market power both in digital advertising and in um, social media services um, and suggesting that even more than that, that it had substantial bargaining power, which is not really um, a competition law term, but, but something that, that it seemed to be differentiating, but that it had substantial bargaining power um, in its dealings with news media businesses in Australia and that it might be providing news referral services um, in which it would be an unavoidable trading partner. So I, I think that um, the fact that Facebook was able to switch off news uh, in Australia for that period um, and then quite likely carry on as normal um, after that, that sort of week in which uh, news uh, outlets and others, as you pointed out, charitable organisations and so forth, were cut off, um, does tend to support the idea that it is not constrained in its behaviour um, by the expectations of its customers, um, both on the advertising side and um, on the social media user side, um, and shows in the reactions of the Australian public um, and many um, small organisations that it was it's actually a vital communication channel um, for very large uh, groups of people in Australia. Paul, I know you've done a lot on regulating the press. Has this, um, the past couple of weeks, made you think more about regulating new media as well? No. <laughs> um, no, it doesn't. I don't think this is a this is one for um, regulation. I think we should hear from Tom first, and then I'll sort of respond to Tom. So, I I have struggled to see this as anything other than a clear victory for Facebook. In that, Facebook has demonstrated it has the power to cut off news access to a substantial portion of an entire country's population to disrupt communi a communications network that, whether it was designed to do this or not, does form uh, the backbone of some vital communications, particularly in rural parts of Australia. Um, where perhaps other communications companies are not so uh, well established. So you, when people had community pages cut off by this because they were caught up by the algorithm and in some circumstances also emergency services, that's particularly problematic in uh, a, a country where you have 
regular uh, wildfires. And, you know, this is the sort of thing which, uh, as a British commentator, I had not thought about Facebook's power in this respect um, uh, until reports of this cutoff came on the, the British news when we were um, seeing the fallout from this episode. Um, and although I'm on the podcast in, in, in the past, both Paul and I have said, I think, without hesitation, when questions have come up about whether Facebook should regulate this content or that content, um, then like Twitter and other uh, social media, we've said it's a private platform. Ultimately, it can set its own rules and decide what goes onto it. But I wonder whether that's a question that we need to think again about, because, as I say, I hadn't thought about how vital Facebook is for some communities in spreading uh, emergency information. Now, if what has happened here is that a private company has developed a communications network that has, in effect, become a piece of vital communications infrastructure for the people in a country in which it operates, is it right to regard it anymore as a purely private enterprise? Um, so that's my first point. Um, and the second point that I, I have, and this is just me, really, I have to ask a question about this because I don't know what the rationale behind it is. But I look at this situation and I can't help but find myself wondering, why is it that the Australian government did not choose to legislate to impose a new tax on social media and communications companies the revenue from which could then be distributed to the media organizations, particularly the small ones, needed in order to um, upkeep uh, their their own outputs to support the smaller uh, news organizations, rather than simply mandating that the big social media companies enter into private agreements with media companies for access to their material when in some circumstances, particularly with the smaller outlets, the bargaining power between Facebook and those outlets is going to be um, significantly uneven. Uh, I might be able to answer that um, latter part to begin with. Uh, I think the the nature of this law as a code and a, a bargaining code stems from its origins in the uh, Digital Platforms Inquiry report, which was authored by our competition regulator. Um, and our competition regulator, the ACCC, had been given that task of conducting this inquiry um, into the influence of um, the uh, news media, the digital platforms rather, um, on traditional uh, news businesses in Australia, following uh, the passage of um, the of some laws which would relax uh, cross media ownership rules in Australia. So this was a bit of quid pro quo between the government that wanted to relax those um, cross-media ownership restrictions for the sake of traditional news media businesses. Um, and then the independent senator, Nick Xenophon, who said, if you're going to do that, I want an inquiry into how Google and Facebook 
uh, hoarding advertising do dollars and affecting traditional uh, media businesses. Um, and then so it became our competition regulator who was investigating the power imbalances that existed between the platforms, advertising businesses and traditional uh, news businesses. Um, and then I think in large part as a result of it being the competition regulator that was examining this, one of the proposals, one of the many proposals to come out of the digital platforms inquiry was this suggestion that there'd be a voluntary code set up by each of Facebook and Google for how they would deal with the, the traditional news businesses. And then that evolved over time into um, when there was a stalemate in that respect into a mandatory code and, and one that was focused on this remuneration. Um, and so while what you say makes a lot of sense, that, that if you're trying to um, create this investment in public interest and investigative journalism, uh, a tax that has the revenue directed to uh, exactly those purposes would make sense. I think the path that we've travelled uh, is because we it, it began in these, um, this digital platforms inquiry and began more specifically with our competition regulator. Yeah, I just had a, a couple of points in response to, to Tom. I suppose my concern with um, any sort of um, public funding or public directed funding that goes to small organisations, the reason for that is those small organisations aren't uh, profitable. Uh, but the, but if that funding then makes those small organisations profitable, what you'll see happen is the big organisations buy them up as an alternative in, uh, revenue stream for them. So I'm always sort of wary of how quickly government can sort of think ahead of um, the, the market when it comes to solving these sort of um, problems. And, but that's that's a sort of small point. But going back to Tom's main point about, you know, is it right to think of um, Facebook as a purely private organisation, given the, the um, benefits it provides to local communities? Um, I, I take the point, and of course, Tom's absolutely right. We hadn't thought about this when we talked about it before, but I don't resile from what I said previously, because I tend to think that um, actually what this shows uh, the reliance of local communities on this kind of provision, it actually shows up the Australian government for not having something in place itself to be able to cater for local communities uh, whose circumstances it does know very well, does know very intimately. Instead of it providing something to help these local communities, it's it's relied on the market to, to find a solution instead. Now, I think if... Um, now that the reliability of Facebook in this regard has been highlighted, I suspect the market will find an alternative again to correct this, that local communities will realise that actually it's not sensible for them to rely solely on Facebook and they'll find alternative means. Or um, if it does highlight how important something like Facebook is to society, then government needs to step in and nationalise it. I, I struggle with this um, with this idea that there's some sort of third way of um, of conceptualising the public-private dichotomy, uh, which allows a kind of third sort of crypto public corporate space that's also sort of has these civic responsibilities. If I could just add there on Tom's point about whether this was actually a triumph for 
Facebook in demonstrating its uh, power uh, and its ability to go its own way. Uh, I think that is generally something that Facebook is trying to disprove in various jurisdictions um, because, uh, you know, the, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission has made that claim that for even for consumers, they can't avoid uh, dealing with Facebook to receive various news. They are not the people very often who choose Facebook as the intermediary mm. between the consumer and schools um, and other organisations, sporting organisations and so forth who they deal with. And that goes to other important questions like, are consumers really uh, choosing Facebook's privacy terms? Um, and likewise, as we saw with the, the decision of the Bundeskartellamt in Germany uh, in finding that Facebook had abused its dominance uh, in the privacy terms that it imposed on users there in combining their uh, details between Facebook and Instagram and other third-party websites, um, that, that that was regarded also as an abuse of dominance in a situation where consumers didn't have a choice but, that, but to deal with Facebook. So I think that this uh, situation, this was a, a natural experiment in a sense in Australia of showing the dependence of various uh, consumers and, and other user groups on Facebook that would not serve its purposes in future inquiries and uh, in, in considering whether other types of regulation, like privacy regulation, will be required. Yeah, and I, I take that point. Absolutely. I think um, it's long been a problem with um, all online uh, providers that when they uh, invite you to accept their terms and conditions of use, um, the choice is a phony one because the choice is you either have Facebook uh, or you don't. Um, but we have seen a market response to that kind of problem recently we talked about it on the on the last podcast which was users of whatsapp leaving en masse to join signal uh, in a way that completely confused signal because it wasn't ready for this exodus um so i don't want to uh, hold myself out as a complete market absolutist but i do think there's something to the argument that um actually facebook damages its own reputation through this kind of hostility that it encourages and invites market alternatives to emerge in a way that's more efficient than government can manage by labeling it as a sort of quasi uh, public space um, and just to sort of um, sort of carry on uh, from that point um, this for me highlights the uh, issues issues around uh, trusting Facebook to distinguish disinformation and misinformation from genuine information now I saw that another commentator, um, had said, well, this just highlights um, the uh, falsity of the um, claim by Facebook that it can't tackle disinformation because, you know, when its revenue is threatened, uh, suddenly you can shut off news outlets. For me, it demonstrates the opposite point. Actually, this highlights that it can't tackle disinformation because in trying to shut off news outlets, it shut off loads of other uh, provisions that had nothing to do with news outlets. So actually, this is a timely reminder that we shouldn't think that Facebook 
and all the others can just manage the, the fine distinctions between information, misinformation and disinformation. Yeah, but it'd be interesting your thoughts on that, Catherine. It, it did tend to suggest that um, Facebook didn't have a scalpel available to it to neatly carve out exactly those news outlets that, that would be covered by the code and um, that something far more blunt and some far more blunt instrument had been used to block that out. Admittedly, it happened in a, a fairly short time frame and, and possibly without experiments, so we might think they, they might be able to achieve more of a, a scalpel effect over time if they really put their minds to it. Um, but I, I do take your point that, that it, at least at, at this stage, um, tends to suggest that that they didn't have that ability to hone in on a very fine level in real time. And the other thing, of course, this uh, highlights is the, is the deep irony uh, in relation to media power, which you've already touched on, Catherine, this idea of uh, Rupert Murdoch uh, crying foul because uh, his revenue streams have been interrupted. Um, but the other thing that it highlights, of course, is that is that I think we do need to reflect on our own sort of uh, levels of, of almost personal responsibility, um, our attitudes towards uh, news and news consumption. Um, we, we've been relying on uh, news from private companies for uh, for at least 300 years. Um, and we've, we've sort of seems to have grown a sort of sense of entitlement to it from uh, private companies that tell us they will provide us with accurate information that we can rely upon. And we've sort of grown used to this idea of dependency on um, media companies actually doing what they say they're going to do and not instead pursue, you know, profit over story and um, uh, uh, tr profit over truth. Um, but actually, for me, this just re um, reiterates the problem that we have when it comes to uh, news, the fragility of the news structure, the fragility of the democratic system that we cherish so much that it does rely on us gaining a sense of credible, reliable information from intermediaries who may well have other uh, motives in place, particularly when it comes to ad revenue, particularly when it comes to power and maintaining power and the power to influence governments. And so it begs the question again, what is it that we uh, think we can do to control this threat, if we can control it at all, or we must we accept that this is a huge, huge problem with democracy as we understand it? If I might just throw one thing in there as well in response to what Paul said, perhaps this would make it better slightly earlier, but... Um... The concern that I would have with hoping for a market-based solution to Facebook's dominance is that I cannot envisage any situation in which a viable challenger to Facebook appears and Facebook cannot simply buy it. Um, such is the the size of Facebook now, it does not have to tolerate effective competition. And unless you, you're talking about some billionaire philanthropist setting up a public ne network and being immune to hostile takeover, 
um, it's going to be very difficult for a company to come along that provides a, a, a viable alternative. It doesn't just get taken out of the market in the first few weeks of its existence. Um, you know, we've seen Facebook swallow up massive companies in recent years. Um, has no difficulty doing that. So, you know, much as you know, I'm I'm open to the idea that the market might provide a solution. When you're dealing with an actor with the power of Facebook, can it really? It's interesting to see what played out in that respect um, between Google and Facebook's responses over the last month, uh, given that when Google made its threat of withdrawing Google search, uh, fairly promptly people started talking about what alternatives they'd use if Google did that. And then, of course, Microsoft put up its hand and said, don't worry, we have Bing and um, we're fully supportive of uh, the, the media bargaining code. So we're right here for you when they leave Australia. So, um, and, and fairly promptly after that, uh, not saying it was only because of that, but Google was entering deals with the, the news businesses. Um, in Facebook's case, I agree, it's, it's not clear that there's a similar natural uh, challenger for, for WhatsApp and Signal, you can see that there is that clear competition between them and that ability to switch over or low. I think there'd be a fair bit of traction in switching entire friend and family groups over to Signal after that first rush um, uh, following uh, Elon's uh, <laughs> um, message to the world. Um, but uh, it, it's harder to see that happening uh with uh, these groups, whole groups of people and networks of people who have always used um, Facebook. Um, it's coming back to your other point about um, the, our dependence on private companies to provide us with our information. Uh, that also um, is evident in the coverage of exactly this story in Australia. If you look um, among the major uh, commercial news outlets in Australia, you do get a very one-sided view of um, this news media bargaining code and the need for it um, and just how uh, evil uh, Google and Facebook have been in their responses to it. Um, and you have to actively go and look outside that to the, the smaller independents um, the crikeys and Saturday papers and so forth um, to find a more balanced coverage of this. And so you do have the, that mutual dependence between government and the, the major news businesses and so forth playing out and patting each other on the back uh, in, in this process, which supports what the, you were pointing out, Paul. Yeah, and I think, I think Tom... Um, we just to give you a message of, of hope, I suppose. Um, <laughs> you could have asked the same question uh, twenty years ago. You know what's what's going to stop Fox? What's going to stop the Murdoch em Empire from just buying up everything uh, that it wants to? Uh, well, then the Marvel Cinematic Universe came along, and uh, and Disney and and everything else. You could have asked the same question thirty years ago. What on earth is going to stop? Uh, Microsoft. I mean, now it sort of seems quaint, doesn't it? The idea that Microsoft, bless it, sort of says we'll help. You know, that kind of, it, I feel sorry for it. 
But yeah, you know, thirty years ago, what was there other than Microsoft in the world of um, computer technology? The idea that Apple, for example, thirty years ago, if you'd said that Apple was going to be as big as it is now, you'd have got laughed out of the room. Um, if history teaches us anything, it teaches us that empires fall. The Roman Empire, who's bigger than the Roman Empire? It just swallows up everything that stands in its way. The Ottoman Empire, I could go on, but I'm quickly going to run out of names of empires. But there are many, many ways in which uh, an empire falls, one of which is arrogance, the idea that nothing can stand in its way. Uh, The other is guerrilla warfare. And uh, I think what we will find is not necessarily one all-powerful competitor to uh, Facebook. And of course, we don't want one all-powerful competitor to Facebook because all that will happen is they'll just merge and become an even bigger thing. I think what we'll find is uh, smaller entities take over at a local level, at a macro level, and start to chip away at Facebook's dominance that way. So the Australian uh, communities may well set up their own platforms that um, Facebook has no interest in consuming because it, they're just too small, they're too micro, uh, and that's how uh, Facebook's demise uh, comes about. I guess the one problem with that is... Heard it here first? That- so, sorry, before you heard it here first, uh, the one one problem with that is in social media, the network effects are so important that it's very difficult to have some a player who is both small and niche um, and yet a real competitor in that just as with, you know, telecommunications, you want the broadest possible coverage to be able to reach uh, all of the people who attend a certain school or part of a certain sport or want to access the government information on how to respond to COVID and so forth. Um, And so that does that the need for those network effects and the fact of Facebook having um, the greatest network effects uh, does weigh against the idea that that small niche players will be the ones to bring down Facebook. Yeah, I entirely agree with Catherine on that. I also think there's an interesting generational shift with this is that actually a lot of young people don't have Facebook now. They, sure, a lot of them have Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, but now you've got things like TikTok coming in and other outlets which might not adopt that same all-encompassing global model that Facebook's managed to achieve. So perhaps it'll it'll just filter out. And especially if they keep shutting down in countries... They can't. They can't repeat this. They do this in all countries. Where are they going to run? <laughs> well, I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us and for giving us your um, amazing insight into this fascinating issue. That's a great pleasure. Great to be with you. And Tom and Paul, a pleasure to have you on as always. Thanks, Colette. Thanks, Colette. Um, as ever, please follow us on social media at Media Law Podcast and we'll be back with another newscast again soon. Take care.